We are looking at the sixth command, uh, you shall not kill. Congregation of Jesus Christ, as we gather out of our understanding of God's word, we, we are looking at the various commandments. And those commandments are expressed also through our confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and brought into a a positive focus, so that sense of permission, giving us permission to love life. And if you, if you look through the question and answers, you have on your handout too, 105 and 107, moving from definitely not to kill, but then moving to loving life and loving our neighbor, as we read in Romans 13. Just to, to take that title permission to love life, to begin with the sense of, of our culture, our society, we do need to give ourselves and, and to have the sense that God gives us permission to love life in a culture that, that takes the life of the unborn. So the reality of abortion in our culture. So we take a pro-life, uh, we love life stand. In reality, of about 100,000 deaths in Canada every year, the reality of, of abortions taking place at different stages of pregnancy in our culture, other, other countries have, have more direct guidelines even in that we don't. And the reality that God sees each of those lives as precious and loves life. And so our call, we are given permission. Sometimes we hesitate. Sometimes we wonder what exactly, how exactly. So the command gives us permission to love life. There was a rally again on Parliament Hill not too long ago, and I know, too, people from, from different faith traditions, our faith tradition, were part of that, just to demonstrate clearly that is a love of life, the life that God gives. So in a world of death, God gives us permission to love life. On the other side, the other end of the spectrum, in Quebec, did you hear right now, just, just a few days ago, or even like end of last week, end of last week they, the legislation is in front of the Quebec legislature for assisted end-of-life, uh, the right to die, basically. And Quebec is, is at the point where it would be the first province in Canada that would have that. And they are hoping to have that enacted by June before their legislature ends for the summer. And their new premier, uh, I, I forget his name, but he's a medical man and he's in favor. And in Quebec, there's majority support. And so that aspect of euthanasia is moving forward with... There, there was an article in, in the news, too, that I read yesterday that, 
that this, this is compassion, people. This is, this is good. We need to be able to, to do this, to kill those who are, are old and suffering. And so that whole sense of, of to give, to have God give us permission, we, we almost need permission again from God to love life. Because death is what is promoted. Using all of the careful terms, quality of life, in contrast to reverence for life, that the sense of, of human beings who cannot give life, cannot even sustain life in many cases, claiming to be God and taking life, all of, all of that sense of death being the direction that people take. We've seen it and we've had it witnessed here, even in our fellowship, that even as a family might struggle to care for a barely responsive loved one, God does amazing things in the hearts of those family members. There is tremendous growth of compassion, kindness, patience, and love, even in difficult circumstances. So to honor God and to love life enriches life. Though it's hard, definitely. We would say in a world of death, God gives us permission to love life. And and we really need to take that. That's the command. That's the invitation. Take your stand there. So we recognize in just these two examples Uh, that killing has become acceptable through the power of sin that denies God. These things are just acceptable now. And so we recognize where life should flourish, death reigns. And that's the reality of sin that denies God. The evidence is clearly before us. And so... In that sense of God giving life from the moment of conception till natural death, when our society sets God aside, we see the sad results, and the results are death. So God God gives us permission, wants us to be that loving, life-giving presence to embrace and hold and nurture life. That's what we have before us this afternoon. The point of, of how much this is a world of death comes through in terms of all the violence and death that we do see around us. All of the news headlines, the everyday killing that's reported, the violence, the homicide, the terrorists, the family violence leading to death, drug violence, turf wars, criminal violence, in, in contrast to those who say, well, people are basically good, we would have to say, well, not really. The reality of people killing each other, sane, rational people, even this bombing in Jaws, that people would, would put a car bomb in the market and then they had a second one 
that was timed to go off 20 minutes after the first one so that the second one would kill those who were responding, the emergency medical personnel, so that they would be killed, so that they couldn't help others. And just carefully thought out, human beings thinking how they can carefully kill. You think, oh, we're all just good. We're all just fine. People are basically good. Say, no. What is it? It is evidence of sin in this world. This is not a perfect world. It's not even a nice world anymore in the sense that it's fallen into sin. And you see it on the news every night. My dad, after a, I think he was in his mid-60s, he quit watching the news. Just said, this is, it's, it's always the same. There's more and more killing and violence everywhere. Do you ever wonder why, why the news reports night after night? That, that's always on the news, right? But that's because it's so striking, so striking to all people, even those in this sinful world. The, the phrase that I like to come back to, Dr. Plantinga, he wrote a book on sin, and, and he just tried to phrase it in a way that's understandable, and, and his phrase was, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That's sin. It's not supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be different than this. It's not supposed to be death. It's supposed to be life and love and goodness and grace. And so people watching the news generally too say, it's, it's not supposed to be this way. And efforts to educate and to police to stop it don't work because it's a spiritual problem. It's a fallen, broken, sinful world. And so we experience that reality that violence and death in a sinful world reminded this is a world of death. The Bible includes that reality in its fallenness. I just want to mention two deaths in terms of the Bible's record, the first death in the Bible, is a very violent and tragic death, the death of Abel by his brother Cain. And you have the picture of Adam and Eve there uh, holding their dead son with the reality that, too, Cain is banished, so he is gone, so their whole family is destroyed by sin. And that tragedy, the horror, the curse of sin is identified. A horrific death is the first death. The second example to share with you is the death of Jesus, which is a horrific death as well. But it's the most striking death in this whole world, and all the deaths that have taken place, it remains one that is remembered every year. We remembered it again on Good Friday. And it is the one in relation to God coming in Jesus Christ to take that reality of sin and death as the very Lord of life and to bring hope into a world of death. 
So that, that reality of the biblical message is our center in terms of life and Jesus who is our life and our hope. In relation to actually thinking about this, it comes finally most shockingly to the realization that though, though we thankfully don't kill physically, we have a killer instinct in us, along with the reality of sin in us. And that's one of the things that Jesus is pointing out here, especially in Matthew chapter 5, as he speaks about the reality of sin and how it works itself out in our lives. And so in speaking about you shall not murder, he talks then about an attitude, a sinful attitude that says and judges a brother or sister and that calls someone a fool. And, and his discussion there is moving to the more general, the more mundane interaction between people and how that is equally uh, destructive. And so we need to recognize the killer instinct in us. And so we are definitely confronted with the reality of sin, and yet we don't recognize it as much as we should. It's, it's an aggressive thing. The weapons that are used are not guns and knives, but they're listed there in the catechism. Revenge, envy, hatred, anger. Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you belittle someone, you are cutting them down. You are hurting them. You are killing them. And then it adds thoughts, words, looks, and gestures that, that we use, our thoughts. There's a phrase that we think, I wish they were dead. Sometimes people even say it. Becomes words. More often the words are things like rumors and gossip behind someone back. Vicious comments and suddenly others treat the person that you are not happy with with cold distance. They might as well be dead. Or, or a look, not a word is said, but we, we have that phrase, looks can kill. Why would you look at someone that way? Or gestures, body language. Maybe you're in the same room with someone, but you ignore them completely. As if they did not exist. They might as well be dead. And why, why are we tempted to do those things? Well, there are... There are thoughts of revenge at times. Someone has upset us, and so we are getting back. There are thoughts of envy. They have what I want. There are thoughts of anger. They've upset me, and I'm going to get back. And that root of sin in us that we need to see and recognize and confess. That's a reality that Jesus is expressing here. It's not that, oh, others are bad, I am good. No, we all struggle with these things. And so this afternoon too, 
That is our confession. These are part of who we are. Thankfully, Jesus himself, when we look to him, can kill that killer instinct in us. That our response becomes love. Living a life of love. As we confess Jesus as Lord and seek to serve him, he pours his life, love into our lives. He brings life into our dark situations to build people up instead of cutting them down. Jesus did the hard work of loving life. He loved your life so much that he wanted to save your life, even though it cost him his. So that's the centrality again of his death. But then we live always with Jesus at the forefront of how we live. Jesus, who lives for us, we live in him. Letting him reign in our thoughts, in what we say, in our looks and in our gestures that Jesus would be the center of our focus. In Romans 12, it says, in terms of revenge, Romans 12, 19 to 21, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. You don't have to. Trust in me. And then from Romans 13, he, he builds on it a little bit. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As Christ's law, Christ's love works in us. The law is fulfilled that we love our neighbor. So that reality continues to work itself out in our lives. To let the love of Jesus be the central focus. I want you to take a moment for a minute and I want you just to consider your life and I want you to think about who is your next victim? Who is your next victim? Because there's always something going on. Who are you out to get or get even with at the moment? It might be out of revenge. Someone has hurt you. It might be out of envy. They are doing better than you. Who is the person you really just don't prefer to be around? You just wouldn't mind if they were out of the way. Could be a neighbor, a relative, a teacher, a boss. Someone who gets you angry so that you're laying in bed at night and you can't sleep because you're thinking, I might do this or I might say that and that'll get them. And we find ourselves doing that at times. Because life is hard and things are difficult and everything is not pleasant and good and wonderful and fine. And those thoughts come into our hearts and minds. People of God, let the love of Jesus fill you for that hard-to-love person. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Love that person in your thoughts, in your words, in your looks, in your gestures. Go to them. Speak a word to them. Normally, forgiving, 
graciously. Be patient with them as God is patient with you. Question and answer 107 highlights the permission. Jesus gives us permission and the sense of his love working in us and in others to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly towards our neighbors. And we will experience his life in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess that in this world there are struggles and that we too are part of those struggles. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us when we fall into temptation in this area. We pray that you would fill our lives with love, recognizing you, Lord Jesus, as the one who loved us so dearly and calls us to be a witness of life and love in this cruel and dying world. Lord, may we extend your love To those around us, may we be a loving voice of compassion to those who are aging and ill and provide also just a place of comfort and help in those end-of-life situations where death might seem like an option, but where your gracious care is the most loving and compassionate. Lord, we think too of those who are caught in situations where they would consider aborting a child And Lord, there are difficult situations and we recognize that reality in this broken world. And Lord, we do pray that there would be those who could come alongside and help and support and encourage and love that person and love life. And Lord, that you would be honored in that and that you would work in that to bring also people into that loving and life-giving relationship with you. Lord, in this world, We look to you as our help and strength, that you would help us not be overcome by evil, but that we would overcome evil in your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond in singing our closing song, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. And we'll stand to sing. Mm-hmm.